Um, we're going to move on now in our worship. Uh, we're going to hear from God's Word. Dan is um, going to uh, preach from uh, the book of Acts that we've been looking at for a number of months now. Um, so Dan, why don't you come up and we'll um, pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you um, speak to us. Thank you that you build us up. Thank you that you shape us, uh, that we might reflect your glory more and more day by day. We pray that by your spirit you speak through Dan this morning, that we might be built up as a church. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see so many people. So good to see so many of you who've come along for uh, the baptisms to support uh, Jess and support Samuel. It's so good to see so many new faces as well. You're really, really welcome. If this is your first time at Life Church, I'd like to extend a personal welcome. My name's Dan. As Luke said, I'm part of the leadership team here, and I'm going to be opening the Word of God for the next 20 or so minutes. And uh, we're in a, a teaching series. As a church, we've been in a teaching series on the book of Acts, which is one of the books in the New Testament. And uh, we've been on pause for a few weeks, but if you can stretch your mind back to uh, a, few weeks ago, uh, a few weeks ago, we were introduced to a character called Saul. Uh, Saul was a, an enemy of Christians. That's what he was. He was someone who hated Christians. He uh, wanted to get rid of them. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Simona preached on a passage in Acts 9, where Saul is on his way to a place called Damascus in order to arrest Christians. But whilst he's on his way, he meets with the risen Lord Jesus, who calls him to follow him, who calls him to repent of his sins, to be baptised and to follow him. And that's exactly what Paul does. And where we pick up the story today is where we left off last time. So Paul has just become a follower of Jesus. And we're going to pick up the story. We're going to read a story that talks about two main characters, Saul, and then a little bit later in the story, a guy called Peter, who's one of the other early church leaders. And we're going to explore what happens to them and what God does through them. So let's open the Word of God. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 20 all the way through to 43. So let's read the Word of God together. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. The words will appear up on the screen so you can follow um, along up there. And immediately he, that's Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among those at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learnt this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, 
bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, which translated into English means gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of God. I think it's quite common for people to think of Christianity following Jesus a little bit like this. A diet recipe book. So you make a few adjustments to your diet, maybe a little bit of prayer, maybe a little bit of reading the Bible, maybe a little bit of doing some good stuff. And that's what Christianity is. But I think if there's one thing we've learned from the testimonies this morning, is that that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is much more like having a heart transplant. It's where you don't just change a few things in your life, but someone else takes your life and transforms it. And that's exactly what we heard in the testimonies, the stories this morning, is that Jesus transforms. That's what we're going to look at today. Jesus transforms. And I just want to draw out two simple things from this story that we can see here as we look at the characters of Saul, as we look at the character of Peter, is that Jesus transforms unlikely people and Jesus transforms impossible situations. So we're going to look at, at those. Jesus transforms unlikely people. These two characters, Saul, and then later on in the story, Peter, when you know their stories, you realise that they're some of the most unlikely people to be doing amazing works for Jesus. I mean, think about Saul. Days ago, he was looking to imprison Christians. He was passionately trying to get rid of those who followed Jesus. But now, this is what we read in verse 20. Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. And later, he does exactly the same thing when he arrives in Jerusalem. He goes and tells people about Jesus. He's only become a Christian for a few days, and immediately he's telling everyone all about Jesus. That reminds me of Carlo. Turns to know Jesus, and it's like he's not been a Christian for, that, for, for long at all, and he's telling people about Jesus. And Saul, in this case, was not just going from being a persecutor to a preacher. He was going from being a persecutor to someone who himself was being persecuted. So he goes from wanting to kill Christians to, in verse 23, finding out that he's got a plot from people who want to kill him because he's talking about Jesus. And the same thing happens again when he goes to Jerusalem. It says that the Hellenists wanted to kill him. Now, if you're able to stretch your mind back quite a while back in our series on Acts, you might remember who the Hellenists were. They were a group of Jewish non-Christians who wanted to kill a Christian preacher called Stephen. And they succeeded. They dragged him before the high priest, and the high priest said, we need to kill you, you've committed blasphemy. 
And do you remember what Saul was doing when Stephen was killed? He was holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen and he approved of what the Hellenists did. And here, the very people that Paul used to, Saul used to approve of is now being opposed by those very same people. This, is, like, this, is a, this isn't Paul saying, I'm just gonna, just gonna change a few things, gonna maybe eat a bit, less, a bit less fat, a little bit less sugar, maybe a bit more prayer, a bit more Bible reading. This is Saul whose life has been completely and utterly transformed. You don't go from being opposing Christianity to being the one who's opposed for preaching Jesus unless something significant has happened. And that's exactly what's happened to Paul. Saul, well, you might know him as St. Paul because that's what, the name that we know him mostly by, but Saul seems to be the name that he's referred to in, the, in his earliest appearance in Acts. He's had his life completely turned upside down. Think about Peter as well. So in the second half of this story, Peter is also a very, very unlikely person to be doing great works for Jesus. Because if you know a little bit about the story of Peter, you'll know that he is infamous for denying Jesus three times. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. But on the night that Jesus was arrested, he was asked three times by very unintimidating people, you know this guy, don't you? And every single time Peter said, I've never heard of him. Never met him in my life. He denied his Lord, he denied the master of the universe three times. Surely he's not going to be the kind of guy that Jesus is going to use much. He's not going to be doing great works for Jesus. But here, what do we see him doing? We see him going to a place called Lydda, meeting a man called Aeneas, who's been bedridden for eight years, turning to him and saying in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And Aeneas gets up. And then a few verses later, we read about him going to a place called Joppa, and there's a dead, a, a dead follower of Jesus. Peter prays for her and says, Tabitha, arise, and she gets raised from the dead. Peter is doing amazing works for Jesus. And what I love about these, these stories of Peter raising this person from the dead, praying for this person to be healed, is if you read it alongside the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus, and you read it closely, you'll notice that there are so many similarities between the way Peter is doing these healings and the way Jesus did these healings. I mean, maybe over lunch, if you're interested in doing a bit of a Bible study around your table, you could look at Mark chapter five. Towards the end of Mark chapter five, there's a story of a little 12-year-old girl being raised from the dead and read it alongside the story in verses 36 to 43 where Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. And you'll notice so many similarities. I wonder why those similarities are there. I think one of the reasons is we're seeing Peter doing the very works of his master. We're seeing Peter do the very works of the one that he's denied. And it's almost like Luke who wrote the book of Acts is trying to say, Jesus has not only forgiven Peter, he's restored his very purpose in life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus transforms and uses the most unlikely people. And he's been doing that all the way throughout history and he still does that. He still does that. That's what we've been celebrating this morning with baptisms. Jess and Samuel, no offence to them, but are very unlikely people to follow Jesus. And so are you and me. Because the New Testament makes clear that every single one of us by nature doesn't want to follow God. That every single one of us, however, however dramatic our old life might have been, like Saul trying to kill Christians, or however, I don't know, acceptable our old life was, by nature, none of us want to follow Jesus. None of us want to follow God. In fact, the Bible says that we were 
enemies of God's, that we were dead in our sins. But what we celebrate in the moment of baptism is that there's a dying and there's a coming back to life. That Jesus transforms those who are enemies of God. Jesus, and Saul is a great example of this. Jesus transforms those who are dead in their sins, brings them back to life so that they can know, they can know him. They can be reconciled to God. That's not a few recipes from the diet book. That's heart transplant. That's heart surgery. And interestingly, there's a passage in the Old Testament in Ezekiel which is predicting what will happen to those who follow Jesus and it uses the language of getting a new heart. It's the language that the Bible uses. It's a complete and utter transformation. And uh, maybe some of you are here today. You might be visiting. You might be visiting to support Jess and support Samuel or you may just have walked in and, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. He said, I've, I've never made that decision to make him Lord of my life, to acknowledge him as Lord and to turn away from my old life and follow him. Can I encourage you? Following Jesus is about having your life transformed. You can come to know the creator of the universe. You can come to know the one that you were created to know. You can come to know the one without whom your life will not ever be as fulfilled as we were created to be. Why? Because he doesn't just tell us to change a few recipes. He transforms us. And if that's you and you would like to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus, please do come and grab me after or grab maybe one of your friends who brought you with you and say, what does it look like to follow him? What does it mean to turn away from your sins and to put your trust in Jesus? We would love to talk to you if that's the case. Maybe for uh, some of us, we look at this story and we think, yeah, I, I feel unlikely as well. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. So I imagine most of us here are followers of Jesus and you think, I still feel unlikely. I still feel unlikely in the sense that I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I'm not convinced that he can use me. My life circumstances don't, will not work with Jesus using me. I'm, maybe you're a single mum or a single dad and you think, how on earth am I meant to do anything for Jesus? I've barely got enough time to take care of the kids and eat. How am I gonna do stuff for Jesus? Maybe you're thinking, I'm too unlikely. Maybe you're thinking, I'm too young. Maybe you think, well, maybe in five, 10 years time when I'm a bit older, I can do stuff for Jesus. But at the moment, I'm only 12, I'm only 13. I can't do much for him. Or maybe you're at the opposite end and you're thinking, I think I'm a bit too old now. I've done my work for Jesus. And uh, I wonder whether there's a bit of a, a moment today where Jesus wants to speak to some people, where Jesus wants to say, maybe to those of you who are in your older years, to say, the mission's not over yet. The mission isn't over yet. You've still got great things to do for Jesus. And maybe, maybe there's a moment of recommissioning that you've almost put yourself in too unlikely a category. And this story encourages us. Everyone is too unlikely. Jesus takes the most unlikely person, Saul of all people, Peter, the guy who denied him three times, and uses them powerfully. Maybe you're a teenager and you're at school and you're thinking, I... I can't tell my friends about Jesus. There's no way, God can't use me. This story encourages you, he can. Maybe some of us, and I'd put myself in this category, would feel unlikely because we feel too timid. The idea of standing up and telling people about Jesus, which is like, oh, I can't do that. The story of Saul encourages us because one of the things that it tells us happens with Saul is he spoke boldly about Jesus. That's not because he decided to just, I don't know, stir up some motivation and energy, change a few 
recipes, that's because Jesus transformed him. And anyone who is here today, whether you know Jesus or not, Jesus is able to take you and transform you so that he can use you for his purposes. There might be a group of people here today where you're thinking, I'm too unlikely because I can relate to Peter. I'm so aware that you're a follower of Jesus, but you're saying, I'm so aware of some areas that I look back on in my life and I think, I've failed Jesus so catastrophically there. Maybe there's some of you young guys in the room that you're, you're thinking, I've, I, know big, I, I feel a big calling on my life to do big things for God, but I know that I've messed up maybe in the area of internet pornography. And you think, I've found myself bound in this thing that makes me ashamed, and I know Jesus forgives me. I love the gospel. He forgives me, but surely he can't use me. The story of Peter should encourage us. Whatever we've done, I mean, denying the Lord of the universe three times when you've been walking with him for three years, I think you've got to try hard to top that. And Jesus takes him and restores him and says, I've got a purpose for you. And I think Jesus wants to encourage people today and says, you have a purpose to play for him. That will look different for different people, but you have got a purpose to play for him, just like Saul and just like Peter. So Jesus transforms unlikely people and uses unlikely people Jesus also transforms impossible situations. It's not just people that he transforms, he transforms situations. And uh, if you think about the two stories of healings that, that happened as Peter prayed, Peter prays and there's a man who's bedridden for eight years and he gets out of his bed. That's an impossible situation. It doesn't tend to happen in hospitals most of the time. For someone's bedridden for eight years, the, doc- the doctor says, you know what, I'm just gonna say Jesus heals you and that person gets up. That's, that's an impossible situation, but it happens. There's a lady who's been dead for a few days and Peter prays for her and she's raised from the dead. Jesus transforms impossible situations and he still does. He still does. He still heals. He still does miracles. He still provides miraculously. In fact, if you, if you have either experienced or have seen something that you think, that was impossible and Jesus transformed it, whether that's a healing or a miracle or miraculous provision. Just pop your hand in the air quickly. Just be, that's most people. would have said, I have seen something that could not have naturally happened and Jesus transformed it. And I think it's so important that we understand Jesus transforms circumstances because one of the important things of growing in maturity in the Christian life is learning what it is to have peace when circumstances don't change. And that's really important. And I don't, in God's wisdom, for some reason, very often the biggest growth tends to come in moments where circumstances don't change. I don't know why that is. God is wise. He knows how to help us to grow. The problem is if that's the only thing that we emphasize, we're going to lose out on the biblical reality that Jesus does do miracles. He does transform circumstances. He does heal. And there's a danger that if we don't also emphasize that, we end up losing a sharp sharpness in our prayer because we start praying very unrisky prayers. I, I struggle with this. I'll pray very general prayers in my prayer life. Oh, Lord, help me, to, help me to grow, help me to know your presence and so on. Good prayers, but it takes a bit more courage to pray very specific prayers because if Jesus doesn't answer it, it's very obvious. And I think I want Jesus to help us to grow in having confidence that we can pray for him to transform circumstances. Whether that's seeing people healed, whether that's seeing miraculous provision, whether that's seeing things that 
we could not do on our own. I think for us to grow both in having peace and clinging on to Jesus when circumstances don't change, but also going furiously after Jesus in prayer for him to change circumstances. And some of you guys are paving the way in this. When it comes particularly to praying for the sick, for the sick to be healed and seeing people healed. Some of you guys, some of you who are doing that, you, you will know who you are, if, uh, if, as, I'm, as I'm saying this. You are, you're passionate, seeing the sick healed. We need you. We need you to keep setting that example because we need the challenge of remembering Jesus transforms circumstances. He transforms impossible situations. I have seen a few people healed that I've prayed for over my life. I want to see more. I want to see more because I want to grow in trusting that Jesus transforms impossible situations. So let's do that. Let's look to grow in that. Please help us. Those of you who are further ahead than that, than the rest of us in that, please help us. Keep bugging us on Sundays. So I feel that I feel like God wants us to pray for, this, for a person who's got this particular illness. Keep doing that because we need to all learn together. We want to grow in that area. But as we do this and as we see lives transformed and Jesus using us, and as we see impossible situations changed, what happens? What happens is that people notice. You see, in the story of Saul... Multiple times, Saul is preaching powerfully the message of Jesus and people notice. They're like, isn't this the guy who used to want to kill Christians? They notice something. And in the story of Peter, in verse 35 and in verse um, 42, it says, verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. In other words, they saw Aeneas who'd been healed and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa that Tabitha had come back to life and many believed in the Lord. That's what happens when we see Jesus transform unlikely people and we see Jesus transform circumstances. One of the things that happen is that people get saved because they see, oh, this isn't just talk. This isn't just a bunch of stories. This is real. Jesus really does change lives. Jesus really does change situations. Jesus healed that person. That must mean that he genuinely is the king, that he genuinely is Lord of the universe. And I'd love us to see what, part of the reason I want us to see more people healed is not primarily so that we can say, look how many people we've seen healed. That's great. I want to see people healed so that Jesus demonstrates that he's alive to people. Don't you want to see more people baptised on Sundays? Do you want to see more people taken from death to life? Let's, uh, let's be willing to pray brave prayers, the kind of prayers that we think, if Jesus didn't answer this, it would be pretty obvious. And if he still doesn't answer it, let's keep praying for it. Because I think Jesus wants to grow us in trusting him for impossible situations. And so why don't we, as we, as we come to end, why don't we pray that Jesus would help us to trust him in that area more? Why don't we pray that he would fill us with the spirit, that he would help us to know his presence with us so that actually he increases our faith? So that whether you've never met Jesus before or whether you've known him for years, your walk with God doesn't consist of a few changes in your diet, but consists of daily being transformed from the inside out. So maybe if you're able, why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for us that we would know and experience the transforming power of Jesus in our lives more and more, just like Peter and Saul saw it and others did. Father, I thank you that you transform. I thank you that Jesus transforms. Jesus saves. He takes dead people and makes them alive. He takes people who can't walk for eight years and he makes them get out of their bed and walk. And most importantly, he takes people who were dead spiritually 
and reconciles them to God. There's no greater miracle than someone who was an enemy of God's, who was dead in their sins, not only being forgiven, but being raised from the dead and being seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as it tells us in Ephesians. And Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to grow in expecting you to transform lives, to grow in expecting you to change situations, all for the glory of Jesus. We wanna see Jesus glorified. We wanna see more people baptised, not so that we can boast about how many people got baptised, but so that you can demonstrate your glory. You can demonstrate your power. You can demonstrate how great you are. So Father, we pray by your spirit, would you increase our faith and help us to follow after you, knowing the transforming power of the spirit in our lives. We pray, Father, for, uh, for Jess and for Samuel, Lord, as they start this journey of following you after their baptism, we pray that their journey would be marked out by transformation day after day after day. We pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would keep them, that you would help them to grow in love for you and grow in boldness for you. Lord, would they be setting the example for us? Lord, I long for that. I long for, for, for seeing more and more, more and more people like, like Carlo, who just have only just come to know you, who are setting the example for the rest of us, setting the challenge for the rest of us, going, wow, their lives have been transformed. I pray, I want that for myself. I want that for us as a church. And so I pray, Father, that you would do that for your glory and for Jesus' name. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's just stay in this place for a second because I think Dan brought really um, wonderful prompts for a number of things. And, and I wonder if there are a few of us who feel we are too unlikely. That's something that I think really um, stood out. So I think, I, I think God really wants to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> that's, that's what we heard from Scripture this morning. You're wrong. Um, he uses the most unlikely of us. So if that is you, uh, I would love to encourage you. Why don't you stick your hand up and we'd love to pray. Uh, We'd just love to pray for you. So um, Father, just uh, for those who raise their hands, um, you know the things that they're feeling in their heart, the impossibilities in their heart. We just pray in the name of Jesus uh, that you would bring the transformation that only you can bring. Pray in the name of Jesus that you would transform. Amen. Amen.